Photoshelter presents Vision Slightly Blurred. I'm Alan Murabayashi. And I'm Sarah Jacobs. Sarah Jacobs, the light at the end of the tunnel of COVID may be happening with all of the vaccinations going around. And I saw mm. a great set of photos taken by the photographer Lindsay Wasson in Seattle of a 98-year-old woman named Yoshia Uomoto who hadn't seen her son in over a year because of COVID restrictions at her nursing home. And I got to say, when I saw the photos kind of leading up, it was a big surprise for this woman, uh, Yoshia. And then her face when she sees her son was like just the most joyous surprise I've ever seen. It was such a <laughs> lovely series of photos. It really was. She was literally knocked, kind of like knocked back on her bed, <laughs> you know, out of this joy of surprise to see her child. It, it's so heartwarming. And I love the fact that it was taken in Seattle, um, which was extremely hard hit from the very beginning um, of all this in terms of the spread in the United States. And these photos by Lindsay, it, it's a nice it's a really refreshing, nice thing to see rather than a face through a, a panel of glass. For sure. Nursing homes were some of the hardest hit uh, during the pandemic and 35% of COVID deaths occurred in nursing homes and other long-term facilities. So it was great for that family to get back together. Wasson wrote on Instagram, it was a treat to get to photograph this visit partially because it was a nice moment amidst a lot of hate crime news. Uh, she's referring to the Asian uh, hate and because my great-grandmother, June Takashita, lived here for several years before she passed away in 2011. Great fun to watch his staff member, Laura Ijima Shurgin, guided Yo back to her room for a surprise, told her to cover her eyes and see her genuine happiness at seeing family again in her own room. The family had been doing window visits previously. Lovely photo. Uh, this <laughs> I saw this on Twitter all over the place. Originally published on BuzzFeed News, and we'll have that link and all the links that we talk about today on our blog at blog.photoshelter.com. Alan, we talk a lot about the website Unsplash, Blah. Blah, which is a site of a bunch of free photographs. Unsplash launched on Tumblr back in 2013 with just 10 images. And today, Unsplash hosts over 2 million images um, that has recently passed the 3 billion image downloads um, after 2020. The big news is that Getty Images is acquiring Unsplash. And right when I saw the news, my very first thought was, oh my gosh, all the photographers that have made Unsplash what it is are going to receive zero dollars, $0.0.0.0 as part of this acquisition, whereas the founders of Unsplash are getting an undisclosed amount. Yeah. What do you think about this? Well, I think that the photographers who have uploaded content to Unsplash knew that they would get zero dollars from the start. And so... I get the sense that for that segment of photographers who are convinced that it was great for their their business, um, that it had no bearing and maybe they were even excited about it. Mm. A few articles are written about this particular transaction and one of the, the more thoughtful pieces I thought came from Paul Melcher uh, on his blog, Thoughts of a Bohemian. He states the obvious first, which is Getty has long understood that free content is an indispensable feeder for new paying customers and they are not the only ones. For stock photo agencies competing for new buyers, it is a cheaper customer acquisition than the increasingly costly Google AdWords auction and other digital marketing schemes. 
So from that sense, it's sort of like mm. the free gateway drug into paid stock, which of course interests Getty because they make money off of stock sales. The less really? obvious that Paul points out is this, quote, the real financial value for Getty is Unsplash's formidable number of API relationships. These are application programming interface. Uh, uh, so it's basically code that connects other websites to this content. There are hmm. 11,135 applications currently connected directly to Unsplash's image database with an all-time API request of 100,312,415,477. While not all of those requests correspond to an image download, even at 1%, that still represents 1 billion images. It's a huge potential market for Getty. So wow. in a sense, they've kind of bought an impression machine. Mm. In a sense, they kind of bought an ad network. In a sense, they're kind of tapping into like a social network in a way, because that's, at least for the end users, that's kind of what they're buying into. It's like, oh, look at how many times my image was downloaded. Look at how many totally. engagements I got. Totally. In fact, I was really curious. I wanted to talk to Unsplash photographers. I wanted to see if any of them were contacted at all directly um, from the platform about this acquisition? Was there an email that went out, et cetera? Because I'm not a part of this community, I just had no idea. And, you know, I hadn't looked at, on Unsplash at, for a really long time, but I went on there and I started scrolling through users with one criteria in order to reach out. And that was that they just needed a photo specific website linked on their Unsplash so that I could find an email. This was incredibly difficult to find. I went through probably about 50 people mm. and only two had photography websites linked out that then had some type of either contact form. One person had a contact form. Another person had an email that I was able to reach out to. Neither photographer replied to me and they had over a week to do so, um, which I found really interesting. And it, also a good reminder that the people on Unsplash, you know, it's a ton of amateur photographers or it's influencers, yep. right? That like yep. want to sell their brand, that want to sell other products other than photography. And I think that's really important to remember, um, you know, because I, I mean, I was definitely feeling kind of like up in arms about it. And then it's like, you know what? It, we're not like professional photographers aren't even really competing with unsplash people in my opinion. I, I agree with that thesis. Um, and you know, the last time that we looked at unsplash a couple years ago, it was clear that some of the users were using the free imagery to direct people to their websites where they were selling merch. Mm -hmm. And it's really no different from what unsplash was created for in the first place, which was, uh, to get people to look at the parent company that was selling programming services and marketing services, right? Digital services. So again, it was like the gateway drug into a paid service. I guess the interesting thing is that Getty does travel in the prof professional photographer realm with the intent of, of getting people to spend money on images. So whether they'll be able to successfully make that leap from getting people who just want to download things for free to downloading images for money remains to mm -hmm. be seen. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they come up with a completely different way to sort of monetize that activity. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. It'll, it'll be interesting to see exactly how this plays out. A, a number of photo editors, um, just the talk that I was seeing like on Facebook and on Twitter, first of all, no one was surprised. You know, everyone was like, 
Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Getty wants to own literally everything under the sun. Um, So this makes sense. Uh, Some people speculated that maybe they'll just shut down Unsplash. I I don't think that's going to happen, especially with this information that you uh, just talked about with the API relationships. Um, That's obviously extremely valuable. So... But yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. I, I can't really fault Getty's M&A strategy here, you know, acquiring companies that they believe will benefit the growth of their company. Um, it, it all kind of depends on how much they ended up paying for it, right? You can, mm, you can certainly mm-hmm. overpay for a property. Um, and, you know, what's the value of 100, 100 billion API accesses and what's the value of, you know, a billion downloads? Fractions of a penny mm-hmm. per download? Who knows? Who knows what the math is? It'd be interesting to see, you know, maybe in a few years some some information leaks out. But uh, we'll see what happens. I guess congratulations to the, the Splash crew. Never been a fan, but can't really poo-poo <laughs> their success. Yeah, they probably they probably got some got some got some dough, <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Uh, one of our favorite photographers, Chris Buck has a new book out. It's called the gentleman's club partners of exotic dancers. Um, and it's a body of work where he's been taking portraits of exactly that significant others of exotic dancers or them even as a couple he does some of, uh, some portraits of them together. Um, he's been working on the project since 2014 and the New Yorker did a really great write up about it. Um, I, I looked at the work and I, you know, I'm I'm used to more of his celebrity portraiture. He usually does these kind of like quirky, yeah. uh, you know, like pretty pretty polished, but has that nice editorial look to it. Um, pictures of celebrities. This was like the most real sort of raw work that I've seen from him, um, and I'm super into it. I love it. It doesn't really look Buckyan to your point, right? Yeah. Right. It looks yeah. like maybe a different photographer. When I first saw the piece in the New Yorker. I was like, oh no, another another stripper <laughs> project by a photographer. <laughs> and then when I read that it was actually about the partners of the strippers and that he had done a lot of in-depth interviews with them to sort of get behind the psyche of why these people would date strippers, right? Um, it, it, it piqued my interest a little bit more. I, I don't know that I'm necessarily going to get the book, but, but uh, I, I think it's a... I think it's a savvy and different take on on stripper culture that mm-hmm. perhaps I, I haven't seen done before. I mean, it was so common, you know, five, 10, 20 years ago for every photographer to, you know, take portraits of, of strippers. And at some point you're just like, okay, we get it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think that there were many yeah. more stories to be told, but at least we have this spin. I, yeah, I, I do own his book, Presence, The Invisible Portrait, which was a series of portraits without people actually being present in the photo. And I thought it was a very kind of ironic, interesting take on oh, yeah. on, uh, on, on portraiture. So, you know, he's, he's pushing the boundaries. Yeah, he, d- he definitely is. And I, I love in the interview with The New Yorker, you know, he's like, the, the interviewer asks, did this give you any type of clarity on, you know, these couples, the, the questions that you had around how these couples operate? And he's like, no, I didn't. <laughs> I still am very confused by them. Um, and, you, and you can see that in the photos. Um, the, the, the photos definitely lead, I think, to more questions than answers. Uh, and it's just a really fantastic body of work. The book is Gentlemen's Club Partners of Exotic Dancers. You can get it now. 
through Amazon or your favorite bookseller. Maybe not through Amazon because, you know, <laughs> they make their drivers pee in bottles. But OK, that's a different topic. <laughs> <laughs> The Cut, New York Magazine's fashion blog, had a, a neat little article about uh, a programmer named Hugh Ma, who's also known as the Vaccine Daddy. He created uh, <laughs> the Twitter account TurboVax, which consolidated a bunch of different vaccine availability websites into a single place where predominantly New Yorkers, but also other people around the country, could find available vaccines. And he's become sort of a maybe a COVID folk hero in some ways. At any rate, mm. The Cut hired the photographer Stephanie Mei Ling to photograph this guy. And she ended up with these incredible photos that looks like, you know, she made the guy look like he was a movie star in a GQ uh, editorial. <laughs> oh my God. He, it's, it's amazing. He looks so good. <laughs> he looks so good, I know. <laughs> he, he really does. The whole shoot is just, it's very polished. Um, and it makes it makes my heart sing. I got an appointment via TurboVax. Oh, you did! So I did. I did. I was able to book something because of the tool that he created, and that, like you said, like this kind of like folk folklore, folk legend of of the COVID era era um, sounds about right to me. The whole styling around, you know, the color of his sweater that he was wearing against sort of the wooden uh, backdrop that he has. You know, he's on a bench. Uh, lying mm -hmm. down. Um, <laughs> I, I thought the styling was fantastic. Now, I looked at a uh, video uh, interview of him. It looks like he got a little dolled up for his photo shoot. A little oh, different yeah. haircut there. I think he definitely <laughs> did. Um, first of all, I was trying to figure out where the photos were taken. Um, it kind of looked like the High Line to me, but then I didn't see anything recognizable in the background. I don't know if the video gave anything away from that, but... Um, also, if you compare this cut shoot with a shoot that he appeared in for the New York Times just in February, just uh, two months prior, um, there's definitely been a glow up and the haircut has a lot to do with it. <laughs> it, it is pretty interesting to compare. Uh, Amir Hamja was the photographer for that February piece, which looks more like a standard photojournalistic portrait. Yeah. Stephanie yeah. Mei Ling's has a very, very like you know, fashion-y editorial vibe to it. I, I should mention that yeah. Stephanie, I mean, I looked at her website, just some beautiful portraits. She is a black American, half black American, half Taiwanese photographer who's done a lot of work with sort of intersectionality and identity. And I, I, I gotta say, I really love her portraiture. And uh, this, yeah. this image of Hugh is no exception. Totally. She has, I love her environmental portraiture and she's been shooting, for example, uh, pride parades since 2009. So she has a large body of work, um, behind her and it's just all fabulous. She's a great photographer. I love it. She was profiled in the cut in February and photographed by Lelaine Foster. Um, and so like, there's this weird circle of like, <laughs> you know, the photographer shooting a subject and the photographer's photographed by another photographer. So <laughs> check all these <laughs> photographers out. Really, really great, great work. And it's a cool article about Huma. Yeah. And yeah. And thank you, Huma. Thank you, Vaccine Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> and on that related note, we end with a New York Times article entitled Enter the Age of the Vaccine Selfie. And in this article, they say, quote, in public health communications is generally considered good practice 
to have pictures of trusted leaders getting their shots, says this one expert. Mm -hmm. And so it went until the current pandemic. That's because between President Obama and today, two things happened. First, social media really took off. Second, as Ms. Gujri said in this article, in something of an understatement, we've seen a breakdown in trust in some areas of science and a breakdown in trust of our political leaders. So I still think it's important to see political leaders and other uh, uh, influencers and celebrities and athletes getting their, their vaccines, but it certainly has been this more sort of crowdfunded effort, if you will, of people showing off their vaccine selfies in the same way that people would show off their voting selfies in the past few elections. Mm -hmm. What's, mm -hmm. what's your take on this sociological phenomenon? Well, I, yeah, I mean, it works, right? Because every time I'm on Twitter and I see, you know, a, a fellow like journalist that has gotten their vax or whoever, a friend of a friend, a friend, you know, my jealousy spikes. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I got it. I got to get on it. I got to get on and get my vax. Um, but, but I think my favorite sort of like niche of this is the European politicians and the pictures of them getting their backs. <laughs> there is two fantastic photos. One is of the French health minister getting his backs, uh, wore a long sleeve button down collared shirt, but unbuttons it completely, removes his arm from the sleeve, and then is like cover, gently covering up like his nipple. Yeah, what is that <laughs> about? You can most I have no idea. I have no idea, but it makes me laugh and I like it. Similarly, the a prime minister in Greece uh, si similarly has a long sleeve button down shirt that he wore to his appointment. Why? Wear a short sleeve shirt, guys. Well, like, the, what are you doing? The politicians are wearing suits during the course of the day. And I guess okay, they're like uh, trying to be okay. sex symbols there. Yeah, apparently so. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the Greece... Man, I mean, he he doesn't even cover the nipple. He's just letting <laughs> everything hang out. Um, free the but nipple. I think free the nipple. I think this is a great, uh, a great and hilarious trend. The New York Times piece actually references a research article published in uh, a medical journal, and the the title of the article is "Vaccine Images on Twitter: Analysis of What Images Are Shared." Um, hmm. And so people are really looking at this from like a public health. Uh, perspective, which I think is pretty fascinating. Now, when I think of the the vax selfie, you know, I, I do put it in sort of the same category of the voting selfie. These, I think, are really strong social signals to try to normalize behavior that the person who's posting the photo considers to be beneficial for the for the population at large or their community or society, et cetera. I think that mm -hmm. this approach to the selfie is very different and the selfie, which is sort of like bragging rights, you know, for mm, first time mm, at a mm. restaurant, traveling to a new place, uh, going to a concert to be like, oh, yeah, I was at that concert, uh, has, mm -hmm. a, has a different feel to me. Now, I always post a selfie when I donate blood. Not, yeah. I mean, not because I'm trying to brag about donating blood, because, but because I want other people to see it and donate blood. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I have no intentions of posting a Vax selfie. Oh, you don't? Yeah. yeah. I, and I'm not really sure why. I think there's there's all these concerns about privacy because people are, you know, showing their vaccine cards. And I guess some mm -hmm. people are whiting information out, but others aren't. Um, mm -hmm. um, but then the other thing, you know, there's been some discussions about health disparities and uh, different populations of ethnicities not having access. I don't know. It feels qualitatively different to me than posting a blood selfie or a, or a, a voting selfie. I don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I hear that. I, I think one thing that's interesting um, is freelance, specifically like freelance photographers, uh, promoting the fact that they've been vaccinated. Mm. I think some of them might even be thinking about it as a business move of like, you know, showing their network. I am, I am safe to go out on assignment. Um, cause I, I like, I've already seen, you know, specific assignments be like, we need somebody who's va- fully vaxxed in order to do this. Mm. So yeah. yeah, there might, there might be a business, uh, reason for some to be posting it. That would be a very interesting survey to take. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I don't know. I hadn't decided or thought about it if I'm going to post or not. <laughs> I've been posting my complaints about not getting vaxxed. So, <laughs> so I should probably, I should probably stay consistent. Well, whenever somebody posts a vax selfie on a social media, I always like it because I feel, I feel so great about people getting vaccinated and also like what a relief it must be uh, you know in their own minds to be able to go see their parents or their grandparents um, and feel safe about it so interesting sociological phenomena i love selfies i love talking about it i love seeing this this new (laughs) flavor of selfie coming out the vax selfie me too all of the stories we talked about today, you can find the links to on our blog at blog.photoshelter.com. Smash that subscribe button so you can always get our podcasts on every Tuesday. Uh, you can leave us a comment by tweeting at us at Photoshelter. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Photoshelter is the online leader for photography websites and workflow tools. Archive, distribute, and sell your photos in a mobile-friendly, responsive website. Try one free for 14 days at photoshelter.com slash podcast. Then download one of our free educational guides at photoshelter.com slash resources.